Take your copy of God's Word and go on and open it to the 12th chapter of Genesis. Back in April of 1846, two brothers, Jacob and George, um, decided they were going to move west. They were going to lead their families to go west for a better life. They talked to extended family. They talked to farmer friends, and really they were all farmers. And about 81 of them, all told, decided they were going to move west. And so they headed out. And uh, everything was great. They got to a place called Fort Bridger in Wyoming. And uh, there, when they were restocking and resupplying their wagons, uh, Jacob and George came across a pamphlet by a guy who was named Lansford Hastings. And Lansford Hastings said that he had found a new way through uh, Nevada and Utah over into the Sierra Nevada and into uh, California, a much quicker route. And they decided that's what we're going to do. We're going to take that route. So they headed out. They went over the Washoe. You know what? It's terrible when you get in front of a group of folks and you can't get it out of your mouth. The Wat, Wat, Watchow Mountains. How do you pronounce that? I can pronounce it, but I can't do it in front of y'all right now. Watsaw Mountains. They got there, but by the time they got over those things, they were weeks behind their schedule. And then they hit those great uh, salt flats, those big, that big salt desert. And it was 80 miles across that thing, and that slowed them, nearly killed them then. But then they made it to the Sierra Nevada. And uh, they decided late into the season they were going to go ahead and cross on over into California. But horrific snows began to just pile up. As they were going up uh, the Sierra Nevada, just snowstorm after snowstorm caught them. It stopped them. Some tried to get on across. Nobody knows really what happened to them. Uh, Fifteen of them uh, tried to go 100 miles to the south uh, down to another fort, Fort Sutter. And uh, by the time they got there, only seven of them made it. They got help. They got supplies. They headed back to the others. And when they got there, they were horrified by what they found. Um, those that were still living were literally on the verge of death. Uh, They were basically starving to death and had resorted to cannibalism in order to stay alive because Jacob and George were known as Jacob and George Donner, and that became known as the Donner Pass. And all of the bad stuff started happening as soon as they left and they got off onto the wrong path. Now, that's exactly what you're going to see in Abraham in the 12th chapter. He's going to get off the path that God has for him. He's going to get off of that way that God's leading him, and he's going to get off into problems that are going to affect not only Abraham's life and the life of Israel, but they affect the world down to this night, and I'll show you that in just a few moments. So go to Genesis chapter 12. That's where Abraham is going to leave Haran. That's where we left him. That's where God was speaking to him. He had gone there with his father and his brother and his nephew and his family. And uh, there they kind of stopped. And there Abraham's father passes away. 
Well, when he passes away, then Abraham is going to leave and he's going to head on into the land. Uh, We're going to pick it up really in about verse 5. He's going to go on into the land. He's going to get... um, He's going to come down out of Haran. He's going to come into past Damascus. He's going to come down all the way into Shechem and then to Bethel and then into the Negev. And from the Negev, he's going to go into Egypt. He's going to get off the path that God had called him to. He's going to get off into something that is going to be just disastrous for his life. Now listen, here he is. He's a man of faith. He's walking where God's told him to go. God's called him. I want you to go to this land. I'll tell you. I'll show you. And um, as he's walking by faith, you have to look at him. He's a great man of faith, but let me tell you something. When a man of faith falters in his faith, he walks out of the will of God for his life. Now, I want to show you two things, two things uh, in the rest of this chapter One is about a walk of faith. A walk of faith begins with that first step. Verse 5, so Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Now, as I read that, I'm thinking about chapter 11 of Hebrews. Now, just listen to this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, just one verse. By faith, he lived. This is Abraham. Well, let me back up to verse 8 to get you there. By faith, Abraham, um, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived. Now, this is what I want you to hear. He lived as an alien in the land of promise. The land that was promised to him, he lived as an alien and as a foreigner in that land. Now, that's an interesting statement right there. He gets into Canaan, and as he gets into Canaan, the land that God's called him to, the land that God said, I promise to give you all of this land, the writer of Hebrews says he lived as an alien in that land and as in a foreign land. When he got into Canaan, all the Canaanites there looked at him and said, that's an alien, that's a foreigner, that's a stranger here in our land. God saw it entirely differently. God saw it not that Abraham was the foreigner there, but that this was Abraham's land and they were all the aliens in the land because God had promised to give Abraham this land. It was Abraham's. They didn't see it that way. Listen, let me tell you something. The world will never see things the way we see them. And you might as well give up on that. It's just not going to do it. They will never see things from our perspective. This was Abraham's land. But everybody there saw him as a stranger and an alien there. Well, he's not. Now, let me put up a map and just kind of show you this. See, it's nighttime over there right now. There it is right there. Um, He comes out of Ur right here, and he's going to go up past Babylon, you know, up this way, past Nineveh. That's where Jonah's going to, should have gone the first time. He's going to get here to Haran, and he's going to stay there until his dad dies. 
Then he comes across. This is a huge trade route, by the way, uh, in human history. He comes over to Aleppo, and then he's going to come down. And as he comes down, he's going to pass Syria. He's going to come past the Sea of Galilee. He's going to come down uh, into um, in the Transjordan. He'll come over this way, come down the Transjordan, and he'll switch over to this Sphila over here. Shechem is right up here. Then Bethel um, is right here. And you, Jerusalem, they don't even have Jerusalem on there, but Jerusalem's somewhere right about in here. And then he's going to leave there, and he's going to come down. Now, this is the Negev uh, to this day. This, uh, this is Sinai right here, but here's the Negev. Now, that gives you uh, a picture of how he comes in. Now, just kind of listen to the text and watch it and listen to what it says. He's journeying here. Go back, uh, verse 6, it says, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh, and now the Canaanite was then in the land. Uh, in fact, the Hebrew of that says this, the Canaanite uh, covers the land. He's journeying through this whole area. Verse 9 says Abraham journeyed or Abram journeyed. And it literally means that he made camp and he broke camp and he made camp and he broke camp. He's journeying through this whole area. Uh, he's just covering the land, going through it, looking at it. He's like a pilgrim. They already see him as an alien. They see him as a foreigner. And this is what he's doing. He moves to a place and then he leaves. He moves to a place and then he leaves. He moves to a place and he leaves. Now, let me just give you a little something about that. He's journeying this entire time with his family, but it's seen as a man who is moving in faith following God. Now, that's what he's doing. All of that that I was up on that map, he's continuously following God through all of these places. God's given him direction. God's given him leading. He's on the path that God has set for him, and he's following the Lord. He's a pilgrim. He moves and settles and moves and settles and moves and settles. Now, there is something there in that. In all of this movement of Abraham, there's something there, and it's basically this. He's moving from one level of commitment to another. He's moving from one level of maturity to another. And as we go through this, what you'll see is this. As long as he's following God, and as long as he's moving with God, God continuously shows him a little more of himself and a little more of himself and a little more. Now, folks, that's why you just don't walk into church and spend uh, one or two Sundays and say, well, you know, that's it, I'm done. Thank goodness I, I've gotten all of it that I need. Because the further you walk with God, the more God reveals himself to you. The more he shows you about himself. Showing up for Sunday school once every three months, walking into a service once every, you know, two or three weeks. Listen, let me tell you something. That's not a walk of faith. And you're never going to see the Lord any clearer than you do right now doing that. It takes a consistency in following the Lord. And in that consistency, listen, God just begins to open up and reveal more and more and more about who he is. Now, it does two things. This whole walk of faith is doing two things here. 
Number one, the first thing it's doing is this. It is building faith in Abraham, and, and more, even more importantly, it is building faith in Abraham's family. Uh, you need to remember that here. This is so critical. Abraham, do you see what it says in verse 5? He took Sarai, his wife, and he took Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons. Do you see that? Uh, there are those that estimate that uh, Abraham had around 300 people that worked for him. Somewhere around 300 people that, uh, because he's going to gather up these people, we, you get a number a little, uh, a little later uh, when, he goes, when he has to go and try to rescue Lot, he's got around 300 and some odd people that are working for him. Some 300 and some odd men plus their families are now moving with Abraham. Now, how would you like to have to move all of that? So Abraham moves all of that, and as he's moving them, and he's coming through that uh, land, wherever he goes, they're watching Abraham follow God by faith. They're seeing this, and it impresses that family. It has an impact on his wife. It has an impact on Lot. They don't have any children yet, but it has an impact on all of these people that work for Abraham, that are servants of Abraham. I'm sure that you've read of... um, of the two colonial families that they have done extensive studies on, uh, the Jonathan Edwards family and the Max Jukes family. Uh, Sometimes we'll look at that. It's pretty fascinating. But they studied these two families out of colonial America. Jonathan Edwards, of course, was a preacher and uh, may have been. Some say that he was the greatest mind ever produced in America, uh, even brighter than that of Thomas Jefferson. Uh, He was a brilliant man, that's no doubt. But now when you start looking at his family, look, look at this. Here is Jonathan Edwards. His paternal great-grandfather was William Edwards. He came over in 1640 because he wanted to flee all that was in England and oppressive about religion. He wanted to worship God with a freedom of conscience. He was, he was congregational. He was not Anglican. He was going to be congregational. He's part of those that came over. He had a son who became a very uh, well-to-do businessman in Hartford, Connecticut, but he was known not for his business acumen, but for the support that he had for the church. He supported the church. He loved the church. He walked with Christ. He had a son. His son was Timothy Edwards. Timothy Edwards pastored, now listen to this, for 60 years, the church at East Windsor, Connecticut. 60 years. And he has a son, and his son is Jonathan Edwards. On his mother's side, his maternal grandfather was William Stoddard. William Stoddard pastored for 36 years the church of Northampton in Massachusetts, which is the church that Jonathan Edwards became the pastor of after his grandfather. Now, when you look at Jonathan Edwards, you just pile up all of these men who walked with God through his dad, through his mom, and out from Jonathan Edwards, out of this family, come university presidents, come senators, come congressmen, uh, come galore, preachers galore. And that's a whole study that's done just on the Jonathan Edwards family because they have have had such an unbelievable impact on American life 
Well, where did that come from? It came somewhere with one man walking with God, and it impacted his family. Now, listen, for over 300 years here in this country. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty fascinating. Um, I have to tell you about the other family and all, all that happened to them, but, you know, you can go look that up. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty fascinating at how when a man doesn't walk with God, what he does produce then. I'll never forget in the first church that I pastored out of seminary uh, in uh, South Norfolk up in Chesapeake, Virginia, uh, not long after I got there, uh, I, I led a man to the Lord who was 100 years old. I led his son-in-law. His son-in-law now was in his 70s. His son-in-law in his 70s. And his great-granddaughter, and I baptized all three of them on the same day. 100-year-old man, a 70-something-year-old man, and this little teenage uh, great-granddaughter. There were four generations of that family in my church, in the church I pastored. Four generations. I baptized three out of those four generations right there. And it's interesting, the first one that I reached was the old man, the 100-year-old man. So now listen, let me tell you something. All of you folks that are 100 and above, do not think that because you're older, you don't have an impact. You still have an impact on your family. Well, uh, there's that. He built into his family this faith. He was building faith into his family. But let me tell you the second thing he was doing in all of this journey. He's building faith into the midst of his fear. Now look at verse 6. Abraham passed through the land. That is a, um, that is a um, surveying term. It's a term that you would use to survey. He was surveying the land. As he passed through, he was surveying. He was scoping out the land as far as the site of Shechem uh, to the Oak of Moreh, and the Canaanite covered the land. So as he's going through, here's what Abraham's doing. He's walking through this place, and he's looking at this place, and he's looking at that place, and he said, this is good for this, and this is good for this over here, and this, this area kind of you know, unites these two places over this way. And as he's passing through, you've got all these Canaanites that are there. In fact, you've got, you've got you know, you go through this whole list. You've got the Hittites and the uh, Perizzites and the Jebusites and the, you know, Chigarbites and all of these ites that you've got. You've got all of these groups that are there. They're all, all of them simply, when you read all of that, all you can do is you can just say these are Canaanites. They're Baal worshipers. They worship Baal. Uh, they practice child sacrifice. They're brutal. Uh, they're pagan. They are immoral as immoral can be. And here is Abraham in the midst of that. I've already read to you out of uh, Hebrews chapter 11. He's an alien. He's a foreigner. And they're watching him as he goes through that land. And he's going through that land and he's surveying this whole thing like it's going to be his. And they just see him. And he's there. He, I mean, he is a sitting duck. And in the midst of that, there is no fear. You don't see any fear in Abraham. That's going to come in just a couple of verses. But as he's passing through, there's no fear. He's trusting God. He's walking by faith. Now, he's going to have great, great, great grandchildren 
who are, gonna, who are going to come back in there, 12 of them are going to come back in that land. And they're going to do what Abraham is doing right now. They're going to survey that land. And 10 of those great, great, great grandchildren are going to come back and they're going to look at the rest of the grandchildren of uh, Abraham and they're going to say, we can't do it. Um, there's this reason to be afraid and this reason to be afraid and that reason to be afraid and uh, we can't do it and we're afraid and so we can't go in there. And here's Abraham all by himself going through this land, surveying this thing as if he's about to take ownership of every bit of it because God has promised it to him. And uh, as he does that, he is not, listen to me, he is not sitting down taking counsel with his fear. He's not letting fear speak into his ear. He's saying, God has led me here. God has told me this is going to be mine. And so I'm getting prepared for what God is going to do when he gives this to me. Now, guys, we've been in a, we've been in a series of meetings. There's a group of us here that have been in a series of meeting called Oxano, which is a Greek word for growth. And uh, we have spent countless hours, endless hours. Now, by the way, let me say up front, has nothing to do with money, okay? It's not a, it's not a capital stewardship campaign. Uh, this is a campaign to find out who are we? What, 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 what is our purpose here? What are we doing? And we're going through this, looking at this, because... We need to understand what our core principles are. What are our core values here? What do we really believe? What do we really hold to? What's really important according to the Word of God for the church? And we're looking at, at uh, these simple core values, and we're going to build strategy, and we're going to build structure in the church around that. And I want to tell you something. Uh, I, I want you just to listen to me. Every bit of it is being prayed over, and my stars, we're meeting, we're meeting enough to die from meeting, <laughs> working on this, debating this, praying over this, seeking the face of God in this, looking through God's Word in this, and when God gives us His vision for this church, we are not going to sit around and take counsel with our fears. We're not going to sit around and say, well, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. Let me tell you something. If we do that, you're going to walk through this place one day and wonder where in the world did everybody go. And somebody just locked the doors up when you leave. So we're going to do like Abraham. We're going to walk through the land, and we're not going to be afraid of the giants in there. For they, as Joshua and Caleb said, will be like Tony's hot dogs for us. That's what they'll be like. It won't be, a, it won't be bad at all. Now, there are two verses out of the chapter, and I want to finish the whole chapter. So we'll be through about 9.30 now. So let's do that. There, there we go. Listen, that journey of faith, how did it start? It started with that first step of faith. Now, he's going to falter. Um, when faith falters, uh, it falters because we fail to worship God. Now, just watch what's going to happen here. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said, to your descendants I'll give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Now, that's the first time in Scripture that we're told God appears to anybody. So there it is in verse 7. Uh, the Lord appeared to him right there. 
God appears to him. Then he proceeded from there. He's in Shechem. He builds an altar there. He goes from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the, on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called, just as uh, um, Barry read just a few moments ago, they called on the name of the Lord. Look at what it says right here. It says the same thing. He called out upon the name of the Lord. He just calls out on God. Now, if you pick this up, just look at what he's doing. There's a pattern that is here. There's a pattern. He goes somewhere, and he pitches his tent, and he builds an altar, and he worships. There is the pattern. He goes there, pitches his tent, builds an altar, worships. That's repeated over and over and over and over again. And he's doing that. The interesting thing is he's doing that in front of these Baal worshipers. I can imagine they just gather out at a distance and just watch Abram over there as he collects stones, mounts them up, builds an altar, sacrifices on it, and he's there and he's worshiping God. Well, I can tell you his entire family's watching it. They're seeing this. The Canaanites are watching it. It's a testimony. He's got a testimony to his wife. He's got a testimony to his nephew. He's got a testimony to all these employees of his and their families, and he's got a testimony to all of these pagans who worship another god. Now, I want to tell you, that's convicting to me. I wonder just how public is my commitment to Jesus Christ. Just how public is my faith? Does anybody ever watch me, and if they do watch me, can they see me worshiping Christ? Well, you come to verse 9, here it is, bad news. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. The pattern's broken there. Uh, now, there are some people who say, well, it's implied. Well, it may be implied, uh, but how do I know that for sure? It ain't there. It's not in there. It's not in the text. We're not told that he built an altar there. We're not told that he worshiped there. What I am told is this, is that now in the next verse, he takes counsel with his fears. He starts listening to his fears. There was a famine in the land, so he left and he went down to Egypt. He got out of the path that God was leading him. He got off of the road that God was leading him down. He got out of the way that God was leading him, and he went down uh, into Egypt, and let me tell you something, you can mark it down. If you are a person of faith, our faith falters or it rises, and I'll show you that at the end, it falters or it rises all with our commitment to worship. When I am out of work, now I'm not just talking about the, I am certainly talking about services. But now my worship takes place not just in this room right here. My worship should be taking place in my house. My worship should be taking place when I'm on the job. Uh, my worship should be taking place when I'm on the ball field. And when I get away from the worship of God, let me tell you something, it does something to my faith. Did something to Abraham's. It faltered. There was famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there 
for the famine was severe in the land. Now, let me show you what this is going to do. I've got six things I want to show you here. It's going to have an impact in a lot of different ways. Number one, the first thing is that other people are involved in this. When this man of faith stops worshiping God, it has an impact on a lot of other people. The first one that it has an impact in on is his wife. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you're a beautiful woman. Now, this woman's 75, 65. She's 65 years old. She must have been a knockout. Uh, he says, see now, I know that you're a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife. They'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Please say that you're my sister so that it may go well with me because of you, and I may live on account of you. <laughs> So it came about when Abraham went into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her, praised her to Pharaoh, and what in the world do you think he wants to do? He wants her as his wife, and he's going to take her as his wife. Now, can you imagine? I cannot imagine that happening, but it happens. And let me tell you, it's not the last time you're going to see it. Uh, we'll, you, you're you're going to see this again. It's going to happen not only one more time, it's going to happen two more times. Just hang on. If you've, not read, if you've not read the book, I'll get you to it here eventually. Well, Pharaoh sees her. He wants her. He wants to put her in his harem. And because of that, uh, he's going to let Abram live. Abram says, this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, it did. But he was willing to sacrifice the honor and the purity of his wife to save his own sorry hide. It's sorry right here. It's sorry right here. Well, it affects others. You get out of faith with God. You get out from where you should be, and let me tell you something. It's going to affect people around you. Here's the second thing. Uh, you get temporary relief. It was temporary. We're told in Scripture, sin brings pleasure for a season. Um, but that's all. Just for a season, there's a time when it's temporary and it runs out. And when it runs out, there's going to be trouble. Now, can you imagine? Now, this is what I think about when I think about Abraham doing this. I can imagine Pharaoh taking Sarah and she takes, he takes her back to his palace. What do you think that first night was like for Abraham in his tent? Sarah's not there. She's not in bed with him. There's an empty place on the other side of the bed. She's not there. He's got to be thinking, what is Pharaoh doing with my wife? Now, I'm not going to go any further. I could, but I want to tell you something. As a man, that would drive me slap out of my mind. I'd be getting my, I'd be getting my Browning 20-gauge, and I'd be going somewhere. I'd be hunting me somebody. Well, I don't know, but that's what's going on. He's got temporary relief in this, but let me tell you something, it's only temporary. He's, that's got to be a restless night. Now, let me tell you what I think. I think God protected her honor. And I believe that because in verse 17 and verse 18, we read, the Lord struck Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. I think every time Pharaoh went to reach over to touch her, God zapped him some kind of way. I really do. Well, look, it says it. What you explain it to me. Every time he went to do something, there was a plague hit him. Something hit him. And let me tell you, this guy's no dummy. He's going to figure it out. 
He's going to figure out what's been done to him. Well, number three, it's poor compensation. When Pharaoh took her, he's going to give Abram some stuff. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake. Verse 16, he gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Now, I want to tell you, I had a guy in Israel one time offer me 50 camels for my wife. And I, I came close to taking it. But I said, I can't do it. I, I couldn't do it. All of that, listen, let me tell you something. All of that was sorry compensation. All of that was just poor compensation for Sarah. He, he let her go, and that's what he got in return. And no matter how much all that was, it was not going to replace Sarah in his arms. Um, let me tell you something else that's happening here as well. It's going to create conflict. Look over to chapter 13 and look at verse 7. That when he gets back into the land, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. All that he got down there in Egypt was poor compensation and created more headaches for Abram when he got back to where he needed to be. That created trouble for him. Number four, again, it has impacts on others. Had an impact on Sarah. What, what, do, what do you think Sarah thought about Abram? Can you imagine her just standing there listening to him say this? And she looks at him and thinks, are you really willing to give me up to save your own sorry self? Are you really willing to do that? Do I mean that little to you? But now listen, let me show you something else. Look at Lot. Lot's there. Lot's seeing this. Lot is watching this. And I'm going to read to you a verse out of chapter 13. Look at verse 10 out of chapter 13. Uh, when all of this strife is going on between Lot and Abraham's servants, between their servants, those that are out there keeping all the animals, uh, Lot lifts up his eyes. Do you see this? And he saw the valley of, uh, of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, that it was before the Lord. Uh, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord. In other words, he looked at it and he says, this, is, this must look like the garden of Eden. This must look like what uh, the garden of Eden looked like. And, and, it, and it says this, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. Now, who put that cotton-picking image in his mind? Abram did. Hauling off, taking this nephew of his down there to Egypt got him to thinking this way and it's going and it has this terrible impact listen where you walk and how you walk in front of your family I know that there are ladies in here as well but I'm really bearing down on the men in this we men how we walk the way we walk where we walk all of it has an impact on our children has an impact on our wife. Number five, there's future trouble here. There is something that Abram picks up down in Egypt that changes human history. Hagar, Arabs, Jews, Jews, Palestinians. Thank you, Abraham. 
You got the whole issue of the Middle East. It's still going on. The hatred between all of these groups that are there. That's what he picks up down in Egypt. Future trouble. You may think, listen, I can walk this way for a little while and it'll be okay. I'll make it better with my wife. I'll make it better for the kids. I'll come back. But let me tell you something. Somewhere down the road, all that mess catches up with you. Number six, total embarrassment. Let me just read the rest of this. Well, the Lord struck Pharaoh, verse 17, and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Pharaoh called Abram and he said, what have you done to me? He's figured it out. Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now, this guy worships alligators, dogs, dung beetles, The sun, the moon, the stars. He's as pagan as you can get. And yet this pagan, beetle-worshiping ruler has got more integrity than the man of God does. He says, why would you do that to me? She's my sister. Why would you tell me that? So I'd take her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her. Go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. I want to tell you something. How, how embarrassing could that possibly be to be known as one, the one sole purpose in the whole land who worships this God named Jehovah, and I'm standing there, and this guy who worships dogs and cats is reading me the riot act because he's got more integrity than I do, and to add insult to injury, he puts guards around me and ushers me to the, listen, not just out the door, but to the border of the land and says, now get on out of here. You're you're more trouble than we want to deal with. And there's Abraham. Now there he is. That's what happens when when you've got the pattern that I come, I build the altar, I sacrifice, I worship, I meet the Lord. The Lord appears to me. I'm having fellowship with God, and I alter that just a little, and when I do, I've walked out of God's will for my life, and all this stuff begins to unravel. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good part. Here's where you come to, and you close on. Chapter 13. So Abram, watch this, went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him. And Abram, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. He went on his journeys. There he is, he's journeying. He's back to journeying again now from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the... There you go. He's back. He got back to church. Got back to the altar, which he had formally, which he had made there formally. And there, watch, he did what the last time he did there, he called on the name of the Lord. Was he a man of God? In verses 9 through 20, was he a man of God? 
Yes, he was God's man. Had he lost his salvation in all of that? No, hadn't lost his salvation. But I want to tell you what. We Christians can get out of God's will. Doesn't mean we've lost our salvation. Doesn't mean that God has just written us off. But I tell you what it does mean. It means that we can create an unholy mess for ourselves and for our families. Right? Right. Well, let's pray about it.